This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Also, make sure to check out and subscribe to our YouTube original channel, UCTV Prime, available only on YouTube at youtube.com slash UCTV Prime. This UCTV podcast is sponsored in part by Audible.com, your destination for the widest selection of digital audiobooks available, including many by guests you've heard here on UCTV. Audible.com is offering UCTV podcast listeners a free 30-day trial subscription and one free audiobook download. Just visit audibletrial.com slash UCTV to sign up. That's audibletrial.com slash UCTV. And thanks. It's really kind of astounding how many parodies and satires there are surrounding life in the military. I mean, especially considering how brutal war is and how uncompromising the military life can be even when we're not at war, comedy in the military would not seem to mix very well. We can certainly see that here at the Command Museum at the Marine Corps Recruit Depot in San Diego, a wonderful place to survey the Corps' success in its nearly 240-year history. But ever since the time of the Greeks, there have been satires about war and the military. In ancient times, there was Lysistrata, the comedy by Aristophanes in which the women of Athens try to end the Peloponnesian War by withholding sex. In more contemporary times, there was the novel Catch-22 by Joseph Heller, or Mr. Roberts, which began as a novel, then a Broadway play, then a movie. And speaking of movies, there have been scads of comedies with a military scenario. M.A.S.H., Stripes, Operation Petticoat, War, Inc., The Great Dictator with Charlie Chaplin, and Dr. Strangelove, just to name a few. It's a bit different in opera, where wars and battles are often a background for serious operas, for tragedy, but not so much for operatic comedies. I think that's one of the reasons why the opera I'm going to be discussing today stands out against so many other operas written in the same period. It's a clever comedy that puts us in the middle of a tight regiment of soldiers fighting on the French side during the Napoleonic Wars at the turn of the 19th century. And because, unfortunately, war seems to be a part of every human generation, this opera is easily adapted to any period of history and often is. In fact, our San Diego opera production this time around sets the opera around World War II or maybe just after it. So it has the look and feel of some of the movie musicals of that period and somehow that just seems to work really well. The opera, La Fille du Régiment, The Daughter of the Regiment by Gaetano Donizetti. I'm Nick Ravellis and this is Opera Talk. Donizetti was born in Bergamo, Italy, and spent most of his career in and around the opera centers of that country. 
There were brief excursions out of Italy for various premieres, but it wasn't until he was 43 and had already written about 50 operas that he made his way to Paris for an extended stay. That was in 1838, and within two years, he had four different operas playing simultaneously in all the important opera theaters in the city. This prompted the composer Hector Berlioz to say, one can no longer speak of the opera houses of Paris, but of the opera houses of Monsieur Donizetti. The reason for his leaving Naples for Paris in the first place was a commission to write three new works for the Grand Paris Opera. The opera was considered the greatest opera theater in the world, and it was certainly the best funded of all the European opera companies. The first of these Donizetti operas was a revision of an earlier work, Poliuto, which the opera presented as Les Martyrs, the Martyrs. It wasn't a great success, but it put him in touch with the great French librettist Eugène Scribe, who practically invented French grand opera. The next two operas, all in collaboration with Scribe, were La Favorite and Dom Sébastien, which was to be the composer's final work. Along with the opera activity, he completed a French-language version of Lucia di Lammermoor and worked on Le Duc d'Albe and L'Ange d'Inicida, all for the short-lived Théâtre de la Renaissance. And then in the midst of this flurry of activity, and if you're counting, that's six operas, came the request finally from the Opera Comique for La Fille du Régiment, the daughter of the regiment. Now, not a lot is known about the commission itself, how it came about or who was involved, but the Comique produced a very different kind of opera, an operatic form that involved spoken dialogue and usually centered on comic or lighter fare. The Opera Comique was founded in order to give Parisian audiences an alternative to the usually grand, usually tragic, and usually long operas presented at the Opera. The kind of opera presented at the Comique in their little jewel of a theater always had a romantic story, was often sentimental, and focused on traditional storylines and character types. The beautiful young soprano ingenue, the good guy lyrical tenor, and a father or older brother figure sung by the bass. The settings of these comique operas often provided the composer opportunities for the use of local color or exoticism in the score. And the comedy was always gentle, of a higher type than one would find in the parodies and satires found in the farces of the boulevard or street theaters. So here's this foreigner, Gaetano Donizetti, an Italian, writing a French opera for a French theater in a specifically French genre, opera comique. Does the daughter of the regiment fit all of those definitions that I set up earlier? Well, yes. This is a romantic, even sentimental comedy with a soprano lead who's a vivandière in a regiment of soldiers, a lyric tenor who plays a poor peasant who falls in love with her, and a father figure in the sergeant who's in charge of the regiment. The local color is supplied by the many opportunities the composer is given for military music. There is spoken dialogue to draw the musical numbers together, and more important than anything else, there's a happy ending. The Daughter of the Regiment became the most successful opera comique ever written for that theater. Between its premiere in 1840 and the beginning of World War I, it had a thousand performances. 
And for most of those years, it was performed every July 14th for Bastille Day. The young, beautiful Marie was found by members of the 21st French Regiment on a battlefield and has been raised as their daughter. The regiment stops off in a Tyrolean village for some R&R, and while picking flowers along a cliff, Marie stumbles and almost falls into a ravine. Except for the peasant, Tonio, who catches her just in the nick of time. Tonio loses his heart to Marie, but she's warned by the leader of the regiment, Sergeant Sulpice, that she can only marry a member of that regiment, and therein lies the rub. Tonio is going to have to convince the entire regiment to agree to allow them to marry. How does he do that? Well, by joining the regiment, of course. But there's a complication. A local noblewoman, the Marquise of Berkenfeld, realizes in conversation with Sergeant Sulpice that she is Marie's aunt. So she's determined to save her niece from this unhealthy environment. In the meantime, Tonio is a new regimental member. The regiment has agreed to his union with Marie. And at the end of Act One, Marie is dragged off to the Marquise's chateau away from her beloved military family and especially away from Tonio. Marie now finds herself surrounded by wealth and comfort, being set up to marry another member of the aristocracy, and she's very unhappy indeed. How will it all end? Will Tonio and Marie ever get to marry? Will Auntie Berkenfeld release Marie from her new place in society? And will there be any more secrets to be revealed from Marie's family tree? Well, you'll have to see the opera to find out. Well, today I have two interview guests here at the Command Museum, MCRD San Diego. First of all, Joni Schwartz-Wetter, the Education Program Specialist, and Ellen Guillemet, historian here of the Command Museum. It's good to have both of you with us here on Opera Talk. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank, thank you, you for inviting us. I, uh, I have to start off by saying that you know, sometimes we think that opera plots are really a little crazy and a little far-fetched. But just last week, in southern Afghanistan, Polish soldiers came across a little bundle on the road that they thought was an IED. So they approached it very, very carefully. When they got to it and unwrapped it, it turned out to be an infant baby girl, which is exactly what happens to Marie in this opera, The Daughter of the Regiment. It does bring to mind that women have had a long and very valuable history with the military. Um, even before they've been officially involved, right? Uh, women were always involved in nursing and, and in clerical work. I, isn't that true, uh, Joni? Absolutely. Uh, starting back even prior to the start of our nation during the Revolutionary War, women were supporting uh, the armed forces. They were working as cooks. They were mending clothing. They served as nurses. They just didn't have official recognition right. from the military. Um, Ellen, how did women then become a more formal, integral part of the military service? 
Well, in the United States, that happened during the World War I time period because we were sending so many of our men overseas, we were leaving behind positions vacant for the home front services. And uh, the armed forces um, opened up to women as a reserve unit. And as a matter of fact, the Marine Corps' first official women in the Corps, um, about 300 of them, entered during World War I, and they were known as the Marine Ets. The Marine Ets. I don't think they liked that name, did they? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> and today, you get confused with the term marionette, which yes. means puppet. We don't want that, right. Um, but so, so there, there have been reserve women in specifically the Marine Corps yes. for, uh, ever since World War I. Yes. And then in World War II, Joni, this, uh, it, it expanded, right, the, the role of women in, in, um, in the Marine Corps? It did. There was a great need for women to uh, replace the men who were needing to be going overseas to serve and to fight. So the Marine Corps Women Reserve started in 1943. Uh-huh. And in total, throughout World War II, there were about 20,000 women Marines, both officers and enlisted. And where were they trained, Ellen? Um, The officers were trained at a college in New York uh, initially, and the women, uh, the enlisted, were at Camp Lejeune. It was called New River then, um, North Carolina. And then uh, after the war, uh, training moved to Paris Island, where it is today. So in our lifetime... A lot has happened in terms of women's involvement in the military. Fill us in a little bit on that, because I know things, have, things are really moving along for women being even in the in- infantry, right? Well, they're starting to explore that in the Marine Corps. Currently, there are two women going through the infantry officer course um, for the Marines, and the Commandant is using their experiences as data to see whether or not it would be um, a good thing to have women serving in the infantry. Mm-hmm. Now recently, the Marine Corps just opened up several occupational specialties to women um, that were previously restricted. So artillery, Amtraks, um, light air defense are just some of those jobs that are now available to women in the military or in the Marine Corps. Tell us a little bit about the museum, where we are now, and, and, and uh, what the function and the mission of the museum is. Well, the main mission of the Command Museum is to train the recruits that are training here at MCRD. They come here on their 56th training day to learn about Marine Corps history through our exhibits and through our docents who give guided tours to the Marines. Mm-hmm. Now, these docents, they give practical experience and knowledge from the wars they've served in. So it's a direct link between the Marine Corps' past and its present. So it's a very invaluable teaching tool for the recruits here. I've got to say, just from my experience today, being here during this shoot, that the exhibits are fascinating. And I I didn't expect that. I didn't expect to be so transfixed by the things that I saw upstairs. And um, the other thing that's fascinating to me is that it's so easy to visit. I didn't realize that, Ellen, that you really can, as a civilian, just drive in. All you need is, what, a driver's license? Driver's license, your your, uh, vehicle registration, and proof of insurance. And proof of insurance. And you need to come in Gate 5, which is the Washington Street And come in Gate 5, which is at the very end of Washington Street. It was very, very simple. Uh, But I have a feeling that, you know, a lot of people don't realize that it's here. 
and that it's such a great resource for, for the San Diego community. I've been delighted to be here, and I just I want to thank both of you for being such great hosts and, uh, and having Opera Talk here. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It was our pleasure. just one example of the military-style music that abounds in The Daughter of the Regiment, a touch of local color to give us something of the atmosphere of the story. Here's another famous example, the Rataplan, sung by the soldiers of the regiment in Act One. beginning of Marie's first act aria, Chacon de Say, she sings a fanfare. Usually a fanfare is reserved for a brass instrument, most often the trumpet, but at the beginning of this aria we have a vocal fanfare, the only one that I'm aware of in the soprano literature. It sounds like this. Military forms and style aren't the only things that make this such a charming opera. Each and every musical number has a delightful tune, which was part of the attraction of Donizetti's comic operas, like The Elixir of Love or Don Pasquale. They kept the sonic environment fresh and provided constant delight for the audience. Very often these tunes come dressed in three-quarter time, like a waltz. Here's a bit of the famous Mizami aria for Tonio, in which the tenor is called upon to sing nine high C's. We forget that those high C's are thrown in to highlight the dance nature of the tune.
But above all, we have to remember that this opera is part of the bel canto tradition, and that there are wonderful examples of a lilting melody over a simple orchestral accompaniment that perfectly express the feelings of the character singing. We find this in Marie's aria, Il faut partir, when she says goodbye to her beloved military family at the end of Act One, before going off to live with the Marquise of Berkenfeld. The melody, paired with the text, give just the touch of sentiment to her heartfelt farewell. This is as beautiful as anything you'll find in Donizetti's great tragic works like Lucia di Lammermoor or Maria Stuarda. Even comic works by a great bel canto composer are going to have that touch of the romantic to draw us in. In terms of resources to watch or listen to before you come to see the daughter of the regiment, there's plenty to choose from. This recording from London Deco with Joan Sutherland, Luciano Pavarotti, and Spiro Malis is the finest overall performance of the opera on disc. Sutherland and Pavarotti were in their prime when they recorded it, and under the baton of Richard Bonning, this opera truly soars. But who could forget Beverly Sills, who once graced the stage of San Diego Opera in the role of Marie? Here's a recording of her from 1969, sounding absolutely wonderful in the role of Marie, with Fernando Corena as Sulpice and tenor Grayson Hurst as Tonio. It's a live recording, so there's some audience noise, but the performance is wonderful. We're in the age of DVDs and Blu-rays, of course, and in that category, we now have the reigning Marie-Tonio combo of Natalie Tessay and Juan Diego Flores in a brilliant production from the Royal Opera House, Covent Garden, under the baton of Bruno Campanella. There are surely other resources that you'll be able to find online, so go out there and search for them. I know you'll find something that you will love and help you to appreciate the opera even more. Gaetano Donizetti's Daughter of the Regiment is certainly frothy and light, but it also displays some of this composer's most radiant and beautiful music. If you like fanfares, marches, and quadrilles, this is certainly the opera for you, but it also has arias, duets, and ensembles that are as fine as anything you'll find in this composer's more serious operas. Enjoy it. I'm Nick Ravellis, and I'll see you at the opera.
You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.